0: Well, as Winslow mentioned, this is kind of an extended cut of our sermon series. And what extended cut really means is that we had planned a six-week series, and then we looked at the calendar and recognized we had another week before we transitioned to something else. And so this is sort of extra features, stuff that, that if we'd had the time, we, we would have put in there anyway, and now we have the time. And, and, and as I think about it, Probably this should have been in there at the very beginning. Navigating life means navigating change. Those unexpected moments when the world changes. It's been that kind of year when life gets rocked and when it seems like everything that you count on is suddenly up for grabs again. It leads to the question, what What can we depend on? Where is the solid ground? What is it that doesn't change? What is it that that in an ever-changing world that we can hold on to? And this probably is a question that is more important in our day than it has ever been at any point in history. And I'll tell you why. And I'm not just thinking about the past 16 months and, and pandemic, but a world that actually has gone crazy with change. And so I brought a few props to show you this morning. For those of you under the age of 40... This is not a computer. <laughs> this is a typewriter. In fact, for a hundred years, we're going to put a picture up on the screen. For a hundred years, this is what a typewriter looked like, if we could bring that up. For a hundred years, this was the essential tool in the business world. It allowed us to accomplish so very much. Yeah, you remember these were the hammers that swung out and they made a noise when they, when they hit the paper and then they came back and if you pressed two of them too closely together, they'd actually tangle up on the way back. And so one of the great innovations in the history of the typewriter was this, the electric typewriter. This one is not mine. This actually is Angie's, who was leading worship this morning. But I did most of my university on a very similar machine, a Smith Corona, a a marvelous, marvelous machine. And and for over a 100 years, this was the essential device in the world of business and education. In fact, some of you will remember in school, you actually had to take typing class. Do you remember that? You remember them pounding out a rhythm? Or maybe that's just my teacher as you pecked on the keys. F, 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 D, 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 G, 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 H, 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 H. That's all gone away. Uh, our, Our kids don't actually take keyboarding class anymore. By the time they get to school, they've already figured out the keyboard. Why? Because in 1984, a bunch of Pretty smart people, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, and others. They took what was being innovated in enormous laboratories and they shrunk it down to the size of something that would sit on a desk and they invented the personal computer. Here was the very first Macintosh, 1984. I would love to bring this as a prop. In fact, if I had one and it were working, it is probably worth Tens of thousands of dollars. A few things you might remember about this machine. It had no hard drive. You ran it. The memory was called floppy disks, which is kind of interesting because they weren't floppy, at least for this machine, and they weren't actually disks. They were square, and you would stick them in. And I'm not exaggerating. It took 10 minutes to boot up. And it was booting up, Windows version 1 for the Mac. A 10-minute boot cycle. Think about that the next time you're getting impatient. Now, Apple could have said, we've invented the coolest thing in the world and we're just going to stop there, but they didn't. They went on and other companies like them to invent this. The laptop. Ooh. Only it didn't look like this. It came in a suitcase. It kind of looked like a sewing machine, and the top would fold down. And then they miniaturized it to the point where it looked like a phone book. It didn't look anything like this. This is what they look like now. Next in the innovation cycle came the tablet. How many of you are actually watching the service on a tablet right now? The Newton was what it was called in in apple language and they could have stopped there thinking it would never get any sleeker any lighter any cooler than that but they didn't next in the pipeline was was this the smartphone you know, because well we needed it our phones were dumb you remember what our phones looked like let's have a look at one of the old phones i wish i could have found one of these do you remember these Hey, kids, this is what phones looked like. This was the rotary phone. Why was it called the rotary phone? Because in order to dial it, you put your finger in the loopholes and you wrapped it around until you hit the little finger guard and you let it go back. It could actually take a few minutes just to dial the number. And so one of the great inventions in the history of the phone was speed dial, right? Speed dial because you could just press a button the way God intended it, right? And, and then your call would go through. Now you don't even have to know the number anymore. I just Say the name and it, it dials it for you. And that's actually, that's made it. We've reached a place where I don't even remember my phone number anymore. I certainly don't remember my wife's because I, I never actually dial it. And you would think that was the last word on change, but you know what? It isn't. Look what I brought here this morning. I'm excited about this. This is called Google Glass. This thing is so cool. Uh, There's actually a full Android computer in here. I'm told that the computer situated in these glasses would have filled a room the size of our sanctuary in the 1960s. It has a bone conductor inside. So it actually, it picks up and transmits sound through bone vibrations. It has a built-in GPS, global positioning map, so it tells me where I am. And what you can't see, that I can see, is that there is a screen inside the lens. So I can check emails. I'm doing that right now, actually. Okay. I can watch the flow of the chat inside our YouTube stream. Good morning, church. Yes, good morning. I can even watch a movie while I'm speaking to you. I hate that scene where Bambi's mom dies, don't you? Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all there. My upcoming appointments. Uh, Yeah, I'm supposed to be giving the message at MC. Well, I'm in the right place then. Google Glass. So cool. I thought maybe at the end of the service, maybe we should raffle this off. Uh, But the truth is, while Google Glass is actually a thing, uh, this isn't actually them. These are just plastic glasses. I, I got them at square one. But it's a real thing. And it's coming soon. And, and probably within the next couple of years, some of you will be wearing that. And I won't know whether you're watching worship or whether you're playing Minecraft. I mean, there'll be no way of knowing. There's just so much change. What an amazing world we live in, right? What a great time to be alive. What a great time place to live. The GTA is one of the innovation and creativity and and venture capital startup risk-taking areas in the whole world. And I love it. I love change. I thrive on change, except when I don't. And usually when I think about it, I thrive on the change that I want, and I struggle with the change that gets imposed on me that I didn't Choose. It turns out I like the change that I initiate. I really detest the change that's out of my control. And yet everything changes. Sometimes we choose change, more often than not, change chooses us. But everything changes. Fashion changes. When these first came out, khaki pants this is what the young hipsters wore this was gaps fashion brand now i wear these and my kids say yeah those are dad pants <laughs> is it dad pants yeah the kind of music i listen to isn't popular anymore in fact to be honest it hasn't been popular for 200 years culture changes my body changes anybody feeling here like your body is changing you're conscious of that countries change the global map changes Uh, If you look at a map that was produced even 10 years ago, you'll go through and realize the names of countries on there don't exist anymore. The borders that separated them have all changed. Our children change. They they keep changing. I just get used to one phase in the life of my kids, and before I know it, there's somebody else. I've I've just only started to figure out how to parent them, and there's somebody else. Our teams change. They rise and they fall. I mean, 2019, the Raptors were right there at the peak, NBA champions. Now, what are they, like 12th out of 15 in the conference? The only team, the only team you can count on to never change the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, they're like God, aren't they? Everything else changes. the leaves never change they 'll always find a way to break your heart <laughs> i mean this is this is our change, crazy heartbreaking world. So what do you do? Where do you go it's kind of it 's an important question it 's the extended cut question for how you navigate life. Those of you who have done any training in In orienteering or navigation, particularly in in seafaring navigation or in astral navigation, you'll know that the only thing that you absolutely require to navigate is one unchanged fixed point in space. That's why, for centuries, navigators, sea captains, have always fixed their scopes on the North Star, because it was an unchanged fixed point in space. What is the unchanged fixed point in the life of your world that you can count on? Well, here's what the Bible says remains the only hope of the heartbreaking change infected human species. The Psalm writer put it like this. This is Psalm 102 beginning in verse 25. It says, God, in the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will all wear out like a garment. That's just the way it is in the world. Like clothing, you will change them, and they will be discarded. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. And then God summarizes this really, this great, this profound truth in another ancient book, a book written by a prophet named Malachi, where God makes this statement, Malachi 3. I, the Lord, do not change. And this is a truth about God. It's just one of the great truths about God. And it invites you to build your life on the foundation of this truth in a throwaway world. This does not change. In a world where there seems very little that you can count on, this is the one thing that you always count on. Where everything is subject to decay and change, this does not change. And without something like this, the alternative really is despair. The Bible says you count on God because it is the one foundation in life that does not change. It's a great truth about God. And and the great truths about God are sometimes called doctrines. Now, don't run away from that word. A, A doctrine is just an idea, a claim about reality. This one is sometimes called the doctrine of immutability. Big sounding word, right? But you know it. The doctrine of immutability, you know the word mutate. To mutate means to change. I mean, we're, this is a superhero conscious generation, right? So we know the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, the Incredible Hulk. Uh, <laughs> anybody remember these? Teenage mutant ninja turtles. Well, what is it that they all share in common? They're all mutants. Something has changed in them. To mutate means to change. A mutant is a member of a changing species. God is immutable. God does not change. And that's good news. That's great news. Because if God was already perfect, to change would be to become less than perfect. It would be to change the worse. How do you improve on a God who knows everything, who's there no matter what, no matter where you are, on a God who is all-powerful? How do you improve on perfect love? You can't. That's why the writers of Scripture, they love to reflect on this attribute of God, on the unchanging nature of our God. At last, humanity has something they can count on. This is is how it's put in the book of James. In James chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. We live in kind of a shadowy world, don't we? The shadows are always there. And when they come, they'll break our hearts. And the Bible says, when that happens, God is there. He doesn't change. So what I'd like to do this morning is talk a little bit about what it is in God that doesn't change? I'm not suggesting that means our lives don't change, and sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. But what is it that doesn't change about God? And we're going to look at four things. So here's the first. God's character doesn't change. The character of God does not change. It's immutable. Not true for us, right? Anybody ever wake up on the wrong side of the bed? Anybody wake up on the wrong side of the bed this morning? Anybody having a bad hair day? I'm not looking at anybody in particular, Nathan. (laughs) Do you ever have an off day? God never does. Think about this. Throughout all of history, the the psalm writer puts it like this in, in Psalm 89. I'll sing of God's great love forever. Why? Because it never changes. He goes on and says, with my mouth, I'll make known your faithfulness through all the generations. He's always faithful. It's never been in God's character to withhold mercy. He's never been tempted to hold a grudge. And where we see this most clearly revealed, most staggeringly, most fully, is in the one that we follow, is in our friend Jesus. Jesus. I want you to think about this verse. This is written in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If if you remember nothing else about this morning, remember this verse. In fact, I'm going to invite you to say it with me, wherever you are. You say those words. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever forever. His love is just as strong. His humility runs just as deep as that day when he took a basin of water and washed his disciples' feet. His compassion is just as tender as when he reached out to touch and embrace a leper that everybody else had written off. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is where the unchangeable God intersects with our changing lives in Jesus. It's a funny thing as as I get a little bit older. Maybe some of you will resonate with this. The things that I don't want to change, they seem to keep on changing. The things that I wish would change, often about me, they don't change. or They don't change easily. It makes me wonder sometimes, what, what's, what's going on there? What's, what's going on in me? I was sorting through my cupboards in the spring, our bathroom cupboards. And I found not just one, but two nose hair trimmers. And I said, well, what's going on here? What in the world? When I was 20, I didn't even know that was a thing. What does it say about me that I have not just one, but, but two of these things? And then there's things in my life that I wish I could change, that don't change easily. Like, like that desire uh, that's always in me to be seen as someone who's, who's successful and articulate and wise and gracious. And I'll gravitate to any person, any situation that feeds that desire, where I get all of that feedback that I need. need. And I'll just I'll recoil from those situations where I don't get it. But the truth about me, about just how far I fall short, about how inadequate I am in bringing to my family and to my church the things that need to be brought, that truth doesn't come out easily. And when those moments come when I have to look at that truth, I find myself falling back again and again. You're going to think this is strange. On the words of one of the first songs I ever learned, probably one of the first you ever learned, that old Sunday school song with deep truth in its lyric Jesus loves me. This I know. He loves me still, and even though he knows all of that stuff that that doesn't change in me the way I wish it would, he still cares. And he'd tell lots of stories about that, what that was like. He'd, he'd talk about a father and he was like the father and, and we're like the children. He'd say and when one of the sons does something really stupid, makes a bunch of really poor life choices, but finally turns around and decides he's going to come back home, that the father is like God running out to greet him and embrace him and welcome him back. Our God is like that. Jesus loves me. This we know. So let me ask you, is is there some area of your life today where this part of God's unchanging character is what you need to hear and receive the most? Do you need to understand that in God's time, maybe every promise that he's ever made will be kept? Not in our time. We wish it were in our time, but in in God's time. Remember, he's got a canvas of all eternity that he's working with. Do you need to know that every purpose that God has formed will be realized? That every commitment that he's made will be honored? That the character of God does not, cannot, must not, will not change? I'm telling you, there's nothing like that as a solid foundation to build your life on. The character of God does not change. Here's the second thing. God's power doesn't change. The power of God doesn't change. And that's good news for us. In fact, that's that's great news. Because we don't have that kind of power. I mean, in our hubris, in our pride, sometimes in our day we like to think that we do. But we know we don't. Human beauty fades. Human strength fades. I was moving around some appliances this weekend. I used to, I used to be able to move those things around easily. <laughs> they must have gotten heavier over the years, right? Human strength fades. Human vitality has a way of fading. Human attractiveness, sorry folks, it goes south a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, eventually we peak in any area in our life, in any experience. And after we've peaked, that long downhill slide begins. Sooner or later, it happens to all of us, right? And maybe there's a problem in your life, something you're going through, and you're wondering, while things are sliding, whether God is still there. God used to be there. Uh, He had a wicked fastball. I mean, he was amazing, but I don't know. Maybe God's kind of lost his fastball. Maybe God was once the doer of great things in your life or in your world, but not anymore. Maybe he's a little weary. Maybe we're waiting for somebody to send in the relief. Maybe the arms of God have lost a little bit of their strength. The Bible would encourage you. The psalm says, Psalm 145, says this of God, your dominion endures throughout all generations. Dominion, that's a a kingship word. That's a regal word. That's kingly authority and power endures. CEOs, they'll come and go. Countries rise and fall. Civilizations emerge and wind up on the ash heap of history, but not our God, not his power, not his strength. And so I wonder as you're watching, as you're listening, where is it that you need some of that unchanging power of that assurance in your life today? Where are you afraid and you need the courage of knowing that this God whose dominion lasts forever is with you? Where you're confused and and you need to know that the only wise God is with you? Where is it that you're facing despair, maybe absolute hell, and you need this hope? The God of all power hasn't lost one iota of the majesty with which creation itself was spoken into existence with a word. God's wisdom is just as vast and his creativity is is just as fresh. His arm is just as strong. His hearing, just as acute. And his resurrection power is just as great. I mean, he hasn't slowed down. He hasn't eased up. And he hasn't pulled back. God is not tuckered out. Maybe we are. God is always in his prime. And that'll never change. And that's that's good news. His character doesn't change. His power doesn't change. Brings us to another one of the immutable aspects of God. And this one's a little bit more sobering. But here it is. God's hatred of sin doesn't change. Now, why is that sobering? Because I think in our day, it, it feels like that's no longer the case. I mean, we live in this very tolerant age, and there's something about tolerance that it's admirable, but along with tolerance, maybe we've come to believe that over the centuries, God has somehow mellowed out a little bit. That God has just chilled out, and he's willing to overlook a bunch of things that he didn't used to be willing to overlook When we were kids, my brother and sister and I, uh, we got pretty proficient at wearing our parents out. I mean, when there was something that we were guilty of or something that we wanted, we could just pepper them with appeals, right? And we'd go to one and then the other and we could play them off against each other, hoping eventually we would wear them down. No sinner has ever worn down God. God's hatred of sin, his refusal to tolerate human greed and what it's done to the poor, his refusal to tolerate injustice and what it does to the oppressed, his refusal to tolerate racism or misguided sexuality or just a haughty, judgmental spirit or envy or deceit or whatever it is. God hates how lives get broken. And how families get toppled and how hearts get wounded because of sin, because of deception. And that hatred burns just as strong now in God as it ever has. And you need to know that. That his commitment to justice and righteousness hasn't softened one bit. Just because we live in a more tolerant, therapeutic age doesn't change that. Our increasing inability in our age, our increasing inability to take sin seriously, hasn't lessened God's hatred of it at all, not one bit. Let me say that again. That God's burning hatred for sin and its destructive power in our lives and in our world, in our society, it has not changed, not one bit. And that's why his his great invitation to the human race hasn't changed either. Come to the cross. Come to the cross because there's something else that hasn't changed. And that's God's forgiveness. It's been fun kind of thinking about all of this technology this week. Uh, Back in the days of typewriters... When you made a mistake, <laughs> remember what you had to do? I mean, you had, to, you had to open it up and you had to wind the paper out. And then, does anybody remember this? They developed this thing called, called whiteout, liquid paper. It used to come in bottles. They still make it. I mean, here, here it is. It's kind of a pen, but you'd have to paint over your mistake. And then, then you'd blow on it. <sighs> Then you have to wait for it to dry, and then you'd have to feed the paper back in and get it lined up so that where you started typing, continued typing in the right place. Otherwise, you begin to look like the Rocky Mountains as it's going up and down. <laughs> and then, electric typewriters came along, and they came with a remarkable new innovation. You remember what it was? The self-correcting typewriter. What an amazing thing. I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if they made self-correcting people? (laughs) Wouldn't it be cool if there was a self-correcting husband who the minute he does something wrong is able to back it up, fix it, and do it over. Honey, you're just like your mother. Oops, back that up. (laughs) <laughs> what I meant to say is, good night, honey. I adore you. <laughs> self-correcting husband. But the human race, the human race is not self-correcting. And in fact, the human race is self-destructive. So God, who in the beginning created all things, heaven and earth and, and everything that populates the seas and the dry ground and, and trees and just the grandeur of creation and and eventually makes human beings, and then sin enters the world, and after the fall, God has one more act of creation up his sleeve. God invents forgiveness. And he would say to you today the same thing he said long, long ago. This invitation, the words of Isaiah. Isaiah 1 says, Come now. Let's settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet. Why are they like scarlet? Because they cause blood to be shed physically and spiritually. They're destructive. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. The most astounding invention that God brings to a fallen world is the cross. The cross is the ultimate expression of God's implacable hatred of sin. Remember, he hasn't softened on that at all. His implacable hatred of sin, along with the immutable character of God, which is a character shaped by love and unrelenting mercy. An implacable hatred of sin and the immutable power of sacrificial love come together In the cross. And what flows from the cross is something that the world had never seen and has needed ever since. Grace. It's at the cross that that God makes a kind of divine whiteout for the world. And all of your sin and all of mine and and everybody that we know and love, all of it becomes not self-correcting, but God corrected. And I have to tell you this, I have to tell you this. If 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 you have never latched on to that truth, today could be your day. I mean, this could be the defining moment in your life where you come to the cross, to that moment where human sin was at its worst. And God was at its best, When you come to that place where that debt gets paid, and God says, "Now we're going to reason it out together. Come, though your skins, your sins are like scarlet, I'm about to make them white. You could come to that place, and you could just say, "God, I'm giving up on the self-correcting life, Because I'm never going to get it right. I never have, I never will." I just, I'm just i going to surrender. And God, would you blot out all of that sin? Not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus did. And I want to receive that forgiveness. I want to receive the friendship of Jesus. I want to receive the gift of grace. Today could be your defining moment. You could do that right now. And I hope you will. Which leads us just to the final aspect of the unchanging God in whom we worship. Here's the fourth thing that never changes, the mission of God. God's mission hasn't changed from the very beginning. I mean, this is so poignant, isn't it? From the very beginning, what God wanted most in creation was a people that he could love and bless and share a home with. The earth was meant to be a home where we could live and walk and worship and fellowship together. And then sin messed it all up. And, and we'd think that, well, that's the end of that. That's the end of the story. And, and we'd be wrong because God has one more creation up his sleeve. He invents forgiveness. And here's where we see the character, the unchanging character of God on full display. He's willing to die to redeem people, to set things right, to suffer alongside of us and with us, to die our death, to die with us so that we can live with him. And, and now we get to be part of that mission. What mission? To reconcile the world, reconcile the world and creation, to go and bless and, and to live that kind of, that with God Life, wherever we are, the power of God, the power of the resurrection on full display in us. The mission of God's people to be part of God's mission to redeem the world. What does it mean? It means you do everything you can to help everyone who will come to know and have their life be reborn through this man, Jesus. Let me say that again. Here's the mission, and it hasn't changed. Do everything you can to help everyone you know to know and love and be reborn by this man, Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's, that's our mission. And whoever you are, whatever you've been through, wherever you're headed, this is really the one hope that we have. I I I would give you more, but I don't there is no more to give. This really is it. We have this unchanging mission to proclaim faith in an unchanging God in a world that is gonna break your heart. And we have that one hope. There's nothing else. In a heartbreaking world we hold on to this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, and forever. You bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's spend a few minutes in prayer together. Heavenly Father, I pray for my family, for my brothers and sisters, those in this room and those in rooms spread all across the city and the country. I pray for the people for whom life is going really well. And we celebrate with them. And we pray for people whose hearts are breaking. We pray that the good news, that you do not change, that your nature is still good, that your power is still sufficient, that your grace is still amazing, that that news would pierce every heart here today. Because God, we need you. Our church needs you. Our families need you. Our city needs you. So God, we declare our dependence on you. When this whole world goes crazy, we place our unchanging hope in you as our unchanging God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.